With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Off the Post. I'm Ross Cohen. We've got Anthony Mangione. Ant, how are you? Doing good, Russell. Yourself? Pretty good. And Michael Jello, Mike? Good evening, gentlemen. So let's, uh, let's chat a little bit about the Stanley Cup. Uh, we're at the point in the Stanley Cup where I feel like Things are unraveling a little bit for the Blues. It's not over or anything, but no. when you're down, I think the worst look for a coach is to start to complain about the refereeing. Like, I just think Craig Berube has made a big mistake here, and he, should have got, if he was going to complain about refereeing. He should have done it when the series was 1-1. Now that you're down and you're getting beat pretty bad, it's just a bad yeah. look. I don't know. I, 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 think, I think you're kind of over. I, I, I don't think it's, oh, my God, this is a terrible move on his part. It's, it is what it is at this point. And, honestly, he's not wrong. The call there has been some, some pretty questionable calls against the team, in this, in, I think, in the series. So, I think at this point now at 2-1, he's waiting until it's 3-1. I mean, it's a tactic that you have to use, and you do have to kind of highlight, that, highlight some of those things where, you, where you're getting minor ticky-tack calls in some cases. That are getting that are getting whistled. I think you should point it out, Mike. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I know it's a tactic from uh, Ruby to sort of maybe get some calls, but I think he should complain about his penalty killing, not being able to kill kill that one penalty. True. That is true. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, when you know, when you go 0 for four on penalty kills, and you're just allowing Tory Krug to to blast off from the point, and I don't think they're pressure on the Bruins power play has been that good. Well, you're going to allow one of the best power plays in the league that's scoring over 30% to dominate the game and change the, the course of the game. And that that's what's, ha- what's happened. Now, I don't think Bennington was particularly strong yesterday and they, they pulled him for the first time, but I'm not going to lay the blame solely on him. The blues simply did not play well from the get-go. And now I think Baruby's got to do something to sort of put a spark in them, or this is going to be a five-game uh, win for the Bruins. Yeah, I agree. I mean, up in the press box, we all felt like a bunch of us, you know, Eck and others, um, that, you know, the St. Louis defense was giving up too many choice chances. And, again, the Bruins' power plays running like 33 35%. Yeah. And you just can't have penalty after penalty after penalty. And, and so that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, if you want to blame the ref, fine. But there's a lot of other things going on. And I really don't feel like Baruby's matching or doing many changes very well either. I don't. No, I would say that there's definitely – I don't know if the stage is, is, is such where it's, it's – it's it's, it's too much right now for Baruby. I'm not going to go as far as to say that. The one thing I would emphasize, though, is that I do believe his defense has to be far more active than they've been. They look positive, and Mike brought this up at the beginning of the series that as much as we focus in on the on the Bruins, you know, the Bruins' reputation as a physical team, it's the speed that the of the of the Bruins that's really the intimidating factor here. And St. Louis's defense is backing up way too much, I think. 
And um, that, 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 to me, is probably the biggest story going through here in Game 3. Now, again, in isolated circumstances, yeah, the game unravels very quickly on them. I do think the one concern I have with Bennington is is that the Blues have, the Bruins have, have targeted his five-hole. They've, they've victimized him quite a few times in this series, and I think that's an area that he does need to tighten up. Now, he's fantastic in bounce-back games, mm-hmm. uh, but he, he's gonna, it, this is a whole different stage now for Jordan Bennington. So, yep. you know, he's going to have to lean on that and, and really tighten up the areas where I think the Bruins are now targeting, just like you sometimes target a guy who looks like, you know, who, who, has, who has glove issues. Right now, the Bruins, I think, are definitely figuring out ways to get him open just enough that they can get the puck through them. Yep. Yeah, and I, so, I, I, and ahead, I, Mike. No, just quickly, I, I think the one the thing is that the, the Blues have missed Robert Thomas on that third line. That third mm-hmm. line was one of the reasons they beat San Jose, and, you know, Fabry has played okay, but you could see there, there was a sort of a lack of chemistry that was clearly there when, uh, when Thomas was in. And Sunquist on that fourth line, they bring in Zach Sanford, and I, didn't, I wasn't particularly impressed with the fourth line either. So, you know, mm-hmm. these losses that the Blues have, ha- have had on, on, you know, up front, I don't think they're particularly deep. So they, even though they're not, you know, Lee Sunquist is not a, a particularly impactful player, but they did, it did affect them, and they're going to need him back in Game Four, and they will be getting him back in Game Four. Yeah, no, no doubt, he was an important player, and I didn't think he should be suspended. So that that definitely hurt him a bit. But like, yeah, they, like I said, they need to have their best effort. We haven't seen their best effort really. That the game they won in overtime, they could have easily lost too. So they really need to. To me, they have to prove something here. If they don't, they're not going to have a long series. Like, we all could have, can agree on that. Uh, let's talk about the combine for a minute, just from the perspective of, you know, Jack Hughes went there, Capo Keiko didn't. I found out from a uh, Finnish friend that he doesn't speak English, so that probably played into why he didn't want to be there as much as anything, because it's, it's difficult. And I don't think there's ever been, like, a Finnish uh, translator. They always have Russian translators, but I've never seen a Finnish translator. So... Uh, he probably wanted to stay away from that. He's learning English. And so you had Hughes there, and Hughes didn't, you know, partake in it, which I don't blame him because he, he knows where he's going. I think he's going number one. The whole 99% of the world, I think, thinks he's going number one. So he didn't really need to go out there. Plus, and he, he's literally been on the road for a month, like between all the tournaments and everything yeah. else. So mm-hmm. he, he's tired. Like, there's no question about it. There's no sort of situation here where it would be, uh, you know, a plus bonus here for, for Jack Hughes to be, you know, prodded, poked, and tested. Right. At the end, again, you, you're going to do it with certain players when there's going to be a question as to where you're potentially going to play him. We, as you stated, we everybody knows exactly where Jack Hughes is going to be getting picked. You know, within the first two picks, likely number one in this case. So for him. If you really didn't know anything about him, you've been watching him not only the entire season through junior, but you've watched him in the world championships as well. Mm-hmm. So at this point now, and, and, and world junior championships. So at this point right now, if you if you if you don't if, if you think <laughs> on all nice testing or or, or, or getting on the uh, the Wingate bike is going to make a difference. <laughs> I mean, sure, getting yelled at by tattoo guy, you know. <laughs> It really doesn't factor here in this case for either player in this circumstance. They are head and shoulders again, the one, two guys in the draft, and everybody knows it. You've seen enough mm-hmm. of them. 
there's really nothing left to do there. The combine for them, I, I wouldn't say it would, and if they had a, a subpar performance, it would be a negative for them. I don't think so, but you get you, you get the idea. I do. And Mike, um, two years ago at the uh, USHL uh, kickoff classic, there were some under seventeen games, and you know at, at the at the USHL games, there's about two hundred scouts in Pittsburgh, and a bunch of them, I want to say half of them, went to go see Jack Hughes play when he was 17. And they were raving about him then, two years ago. So, <laughs> no great shock there. No, and I mean, and I can understand, you know, he, and now I didn't, I, I was in the scrum when he talked on Friday. I didn't uh, get a chance to talk and see him talk on Saturday, but from what I understood from other people who were there, he seemed a bit perturbed. And honestly, after being over at the Worlds and then doing all the all the stuff in Buffalo, I think he just wants it over with. He just wants to mm-hmm. And then he, they, I'm sure they, they jumped on a plane to St. Louis for, uh, for game three. So, I, you know, I mean, he's going to be the number one pick. I can completely understand why he just wants to get the whole shebang over with and just move on, and he'll put on the New Jersey Devils jersey, and then he can move on to the next stage of his career. Yeah. And then talking about the whole shebang, I, I did put up an article in Sportsology uh, just about the Flyers, like who they might draft at 11 or if they trade up. And I um, I spoke to Pod Colson, and, and the Flyers did talk to him, and there's a chance mm-hmm. now with the way things are shaking out that he could be there at 11. So I think that's why the Flyers did talk to him. And, and I think, I think it would be him, a real – I think it would be a mistake for any of the for for any of the teams starting starting probably from five on down. I agree, in my opinion, that that you but, pass on him. Mm-hmm. It's true. I I, I agree, but uh, his two year contract is annoying some teams. So that's a possibility of him falling just because, and he knows it. He said, "Yeah, he understands yeah. it." Like. You know, I mean, and I think Philadelphia can be relatively patient here with a two-year deal. That mm-hmm. if he's there at eleven, yeah, to me, Pod Colson would be the would be the un- unquestionable choice in this circumstance. Um, and it's fascinating because of the conversation that we've had before with Pod Colson versus Caulfield. Caulfield mm-hmm. now at this point, most people are like, ah, maybe he's going to be outside top ten. Now nobody no. is thinking <laughs> that Caulfield is going is even remotely going to be escaping uh, the top right. ten. In Cases probably gone by seven or eight, and now you've right. got you know Flyer fans saying, "Oh, the Flyers should trade up for Caulfield at eight. And the only circumstance I'm trading up for a guy in this in the top ten is because I think it's a guy who can actually can play in the league either this year or next year. And I, I, it's, otherwise, I, I I don't necessarily at this point I I lean probably more towards the fact that either Philly sits at eleven or they trade the pick. I, I, I at this point I think they I, I think that's more likely than the trade-up scenario is. Sure, and I do think it's possible in two years Caulfield could play. He won't play in the NHL next year um, just because he has to get bigger and stronger. But he actually, he's, he's now grown it's a little. Philly's, it's just where Philly's at right now, too. It's just, you know, they're at the point now where they're trying sure. to, to push the envelope, and I think that 11 pick it becomes more, it, it becomes as much trade capital as anything for, for getting what it is that they think they're going to need going forward. Uh, at least in the next few years, especially when your system's flush. That being said, you don't have in system what I will call a bona fide offensive sniper. And if a guy like Pud Colson or Caulfield there at 11 mm-hmm. or to get close, 
that's the one element in their system that they're probably missing. Yep, no, no question about it. Um, one more thing, and then I'll let you comment, Mike. Um, I also spoke to Marcus County Kieli, who uh, he's a uh, Finn. I saw him early in the year at the USHL Kickoff Classic. Really liked him. I think he might be there when they're picking at 41, and and he's a big, strong winger. And again, just because they have like one in their system. <laughs> They're going to need more. And so I think he'd be a heck of a pick. So, you know, we'll see, Ant, but that's another guy who um, he only spoke to 19 teams. There's a few options. One There's of them. a couple of finished players in that. There's a couple of finished players that I'm looking at. Uh, Stoll is another one. Um, mm-hmm. There's a few guys there in that spot that I'm, I, I am sort of thinking about at 41. So we'll, we'll, we'll see uh, where they go with that. Yep. Any, uh, any thoughts there, uh, Mike? Well, just a uh, you know, Chuck Fletcher's uh, success rate with Russian players, I'm sure that will mean that they're, they're going to take puck holes in at 11. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I, I just think you know, it was, the thing that impressed me from the two days there is that, you know, there's the buzz from the people there. Is I think the two rising stars, uh, obviously Caulfield was one of them, I think Sider or Sater, however you want to pronounce his name, yep. uh, coming off the World Championships, playing for Germany at the World Championships. And, you know, I, 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 you know he, was, he was impressive and pretty humorous uh, when talking to the media. And, you know, I think we both commented on the fact that, you know, he's got a frame that can you can really build on, and, he's, yeah. you know, he's got the speed. I mean, I, for teams looking for defense, that guy is going they're going to salivate looking at him. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, when I um, people could check out if they still want to my top thirty-one version one point my two point will come out this week. I don't know exactly when, but I had cider um, ranked ninth at that time, and a lot of people had him in the twenties. Now, I think I had a little edge on him man because I had I have two um, friends who cover Mannheim, and and I spoke to them, and and they really filled me in on just some of the uh, off the ice other things that you might not know about about them, and I think that, that sort of helped me. And, and, but I will say this, another riser is Trevor Zegers. Like, I just think he is getting the typical media didn't know who he was earlier, so now he's just getting this tremendous buzz, but I don't know if it affects where he goes in the draft. Nah, I think, I think factor-wise, I think he's, he's – I don't know if he's locked into that spot. There's always going to be a team. You're always going to get the – you know, especially after – you know where everybody tabbed Barrett Hayden last, last yeah, year, yeah, and yeah. now of course where you know where you know where he ended up getting taken. So you always have that surprise factor that's involved there. But um, I do think at least based off where we're standing right now, I think Zegers probably still will be in around the slot that you you've discussed. Yeah, and um, Mike, um, another guy who I uh, spoke to, Trevor Janicki, he. Um, a couple of years ago, played for the NTDP last year, was in the USHL. I did see him play. Uh, he played for the Central Illinois Flying Aces, who no longer exist, but he had a really good season. He had 22 goals and 48 points in 58 games. He's a right winger, like 5'10", 194. He, um, you look at him, he's an impressive kid. He was the only kid who literally, when I walked up to him, maybe because nobody was there right away, uh, said mm-hmm. he introduced himself and we shook hands, and that was uh, an impressive thing. But I spoke to him, and only nine teams spoke to him. Now this kid could play, and and I remember watching him with the NTDP, and I was like, you know, there's probably something there, and I think he broke away from them 
so he can get better numbers with another team because he was just playing, you know, bottom six there. I think he was actually probably on the fourth line, if I go look at my notes. And so now he, you know, he, he's a guy that literally does everything and is really, I want to say, really proficient and just voracious on the penalty kill, which is, you know, a pretty big deal these days. He's going to Notre Dame, so uh, that'll get emphasized there because they play a, a, a very defensive system. And so he spoke to nine teams, and the Rangers were one of them. And I know Ranger fans always want to focus on stars, but you can't have a team of stars. You always have to have a team that include a guy like this. Yeah, you have to have role players and grinders. And I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for him simply because me and you are the only people that were talking to him. Right. Um, and there's always one guy per year that I sort of like write down their name and say, okay, we were the only ones to talk to him and find out where that guy goes. And then, you know, hopefully just because of that, and he was a, he was a good kid, so I'm, I'm rooting for his success. But the one overriding thing from the two days there was, Boy, this class, this NTTP class, this this U.S. class with Hughes and you know a, a number of other players. I mean, mm-hmm. again, the these scouts are just they're looking at this and it, it, what a bevy of talent, and you're going to see a ton of them go in this in the first two or three rounds. Oh yeah, I think I have seven or eight on my list now, and there'll be a lot. Actually, every one of them got ranked by CSS, which they've never done before. So that's that's an interesting thing just to have happen. But, no, I think when it's all said and done, it'll be a big deal. Now, one player, Mike, who spoke to a lot of teams, but I got the feeling there was a little gleam in his eye when he spoke to the Leafs was Thomas Harley. He played for Mississauga. He's a defenseman who had been gaining a lot of steam, I would say, the last two months. He, is, um, he was actually born in Syracuse, but Canada is where he, uh, he lived, so... You know, that's uh, an interesting thing, but that's – who knows why that happened. Uh, he's only 17 <laughs> still, so he's one of the younger players in the draft and had a heck of a year. I mean, 58 points in 68 games and a point a game in the playoffs. Big 6'3 kid. And, you know, not like the Leafs can't use a guy like that, but he won't be there where they're drafting, but they spoke to him. So what that yeah. led me to believe is they could still be trying to obtain a draft pick in that first round. I do believe they are. I know you don't necessarily subscribe to that, but there would be no reason to talk to Thomas Harley otherwise because in Mississauga, they could have talked to him a hundred times this year. Right. And, and, you know, Kyle Dubas on Thursday, you know, sort of jokingly said, well, you never know where we're going to pick. And I'm sure they're open to possibilities, but it's, you know, if they're trade, if they're getting a first, then you're talking about a deal where you're probably trading a cadre or, or a Nylander, and uh, you know, all that's possible. Um, I, I don't, at least the cadre. I don't think it's very likely. Nylander, I think, would go for a defenseman. But I, you know, I, I was struck by the fact that the Leafs really didn't. When I asked, I, I think I asked that of the eight, not eight or nine prospects, and one said they had talked to Toronto. So their footprint right. in terms of discussing with certain players was not there as it has been in previous years. And, and, and Duda said, you know, they're, they were, he, he was much more tuned this year, um, a year into his, uh, you know, stewardship of the Leafs than last year when he took over two or three weeks before the combine. So either they have their plan already in place or as, as you indicated, they may have talked to these guys as they traveled through Toronto at some point right. in the year or 
they're you know they're sort of checked out because they don't have a first round pick. So we'll see. Now, and just the like I said, the fact that what I had told Mike is true. They could have spoken to guys a million times during the year, and then they know they don't have a first round pick, and they know Harley's going to go somewhere between twenty and thirty one. Yet they still spoke to him there. It does make me think they they might be targeting a spot where if they see he's on the board, like I don't know, twenty two, twenty three. Or, or they make a trade ahead of time, going to get a spot where they think they can get this kid. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's not for me to speak to it, but in terms of, I would say... I'm just talking strategy. Like, you don't have to know the player. Yeah, like, I'm not, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly, just, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. talking to a player is not a guarantee that, you know, it, I mean, it, they, you know, they, it, it, it is what it is. It's It's... You've already done the the legwork already. This is just a case of you know the usual crossing T's and dotting I's and maybe just getting one little extra thing to get you know to to sort of not necessarily put you over top to make the pick, but to just kind of do a final check more than anything. So yeah, I yeah, and, and, and yeah, the the only the only uh, the other uh, rising star, not not I think he was generally accepted as the best goaltender in the class, but I think. Um, the way Spencer Knight, uh, I mean, in talking to the media and just at Russ, you were the one who said, you know, look at, look physically, just look at this guy and, you know, uh, his yeah. competitive nature. And, I mean, there are teams out there that need goaltending. And if, if you're in the middle of the first round, maybe if you're in the just outside of the top ten, I think somebody's going to jump at this guy because he could be a future star number one goaltender. Yeah, he's just a machine, and, and I did point that out. And it's it's funny because, you know, I've covered games of his, and I think I've seen him twice live and then watched him other times on, on television. And I never saw him in shorts, right? And I never saw him work out. And you see this guy in shorts, and when you see some of these some of these guys with the lower body strength, and, of course, with a goalie, if you've got, like, massive tree trunk legs, that's a good thing. And this guy was just he was just something to behold. And I, I said the same thing about Mackenzie Blackwood a few years ago, and I think he might be bigger than him. Wow. That's something else, man. <laughs> yeah. And people, and people raved about that. Back. I mean, it was one of those things. Um, yeah. I do want to mention, too, uh, in the vertical, Cole Caulfield jumped 23 inches, which, to be honest, I don't know what a good vertical is, so I looked it up. And, 25 is a good high school vertical for a guy on a track team. 28 is, like, exceptional. So for a hockey player, that's pretty good. And I do want to point yeah. out, and I'm probably tantalizing Flyers fans a little, but I'm, it should be for other fans, too. He played football, too, Ant. So even at five foot seven, he's pretty fearless. Yeah, exactly. And I just, again, these are little factors here and there that, you know, that I think just kind of added on to why people have such interest in Caulfield. And certainly – you know, nobody after as, and we keep going back to it. But again, the Alex Tabrinkit factor is is big here. Nobody wants to. No, no team wants to be caught flat-footed again in terms of looking at a player and and, and just looking at his size and thinking that's the that, that should be the determining factor on the pick. I mean, he's we saw him. He, you know how you know how how good of a goal scorer he is, and um, he may be the be, he may be the best one in this draft. No, great and, point. And, um, yeah. And Russ, my, my my I have to say that I equaled uh, Caulfield's <clears throat> vertical jump, but mine was in centimeters. <laughs> Actually, that was something that was funny. Aunt. Um, somebody said, "Hey, 
like, what's your height and weight? And he said, like, two more centimeters, and, and I'm just like, I almost want to say. Three more kilos. And three, three more, more kilos, kilos, and I almost wanted to say, like, what is that? Could you please help us? <laughs> so now I know I have it on tape, and I'm going to have to go home. I'm going to have to, like, go and check it out and see what the actual uh, difference is because, you know, they, they tried, and when I was in school, they tried to have us use that side of the ruler, and it lasted, like, a month. And then yeah, and the only time America the, stopped the only time, after that. The only time I was ever ever noticed the kilos was when I was watching Don Johnson on Miami Vice. But anyway, right. <laughs> it's just one of those things. I know, I know the teacher right. and you. Um, I do want to rip the Toronto Sun because they had a headline today: big NHL future for Little Caulfield. Really, Little? Right, that's where we're at. <laughs> He's five seven and a quarter. I mean, it's like, like Danny Briere is shorter than that. Did they put a headline like that for Danny Briere? I mean, come on. This is, it's just <laughs> aggravating. I know you're going to defend him, Mike. So go ahead, I'll let you. No, no, I'm not. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm vertically challenged as well. I'm five nine, so I, you know, I like rooting for the little guy. So there you go. All right. Well, it's good that you root for the little guy because that's, that's an important thing. I'm sure everybody out there is very happy about that. But that's really it. That's, that's all we have for this show. We just wanted to give a, a little recap on everything and get maybe our thoughts just on the teams we cover and such. So that's it for Off the Post. We'll catch everybody next time. Take care, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.